Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This week on Wealth Track, where are the growth opportunities in a late cycle bull market? Gamco Growth Fund Manager Howard Ward shares his market-beating strategy next on Consuelo Mack Wealth Track. Hello and welcome to this edition of Wealth Track. I'm Consuelo Mack. Growth stocks are back in a big way, outdistancing value once again. And tech is the dominant force. As you can see from this chart from leading independent research firm Strategus, the performance of the S&P 500 technology sector is better than the S&P itself so far this year. And the famous fangs are part of that tech dominance. They came roaring back in the latest record-breaking market run. Last year's fourth quarter route had decimated shares of the extended fang family. Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google parent Alphabet all suffered significant declines. But they made up for lost ground in the first months of this year as the shares took off. Expectations are that their growth rates will continue to outpace the markets. Fang stock fever seems to be increasing globally as well. According to a recent monthly survey of global money managers by Bank of America Merrill Lynch, owning the tech giant group was considered to be the second most crowded trade, i.e. most popular, in the financial markets, along with their Chinese equivalents known as the BATS, Baidu, Alibaba, and Tencent. In case you're interested, shorting European stocks was voted the most crowded trade. The popularity of the FANGs, as well as Microsoft, which is frequently mentioned as practically an honorary member, does not worry this week's guest who owns them all. He is Howard Ward, the Chief Investment Officer of Growth Equities at Gamco Investors, part of the Gabelli Funds. Since 1995, Ward has been the Portfolio Manager of the Gamco Growth Fund. Ranked four-star by Morningstar, it has beaten the market and its Morningstar large growth category over the last one, three, five, and ten-year periods and has been recognized by Lipper for its consistent risk-adjusted returns. Ward has also been the co-portfolio manager of the five-star rated Gamco Global Growth Fund since 2005. Now, since Ward is new to WealthTrack, I wanted to start with a basic question. How does he define growth? Well, we would define growth as companies that have above average top and bottom line growth. So what's above average? Well, what we're looking for right now is really uh, ideally uh, a top line growth of around 10 to 15 percent, bottom line growth of around 15 percent. And when I look at our portfolio right, top today, line being revenues, bottom line being profits. Being earnings. profits, right. right. And when I look at our portfolio in our Gamco Growth Fund today, which has about 38 holdings, the average rate of both top and bottom line growth for the last five years was 17 percent. Uh, which I, well, I find that interesting because normally there's a divergence where for most companies the top line doesn't grow as fast as the bottom line. Right. And, and yet in this case they've matched up perfectly, which is what you want. So what is it about the kinds of companies that you have in the portfolio that in, enable you to have bottom and top line growth basically growing at the same rate? 
Well, we're looking for parts of the economy that generally have a tailwind where you have a technology or, or healthcare or a discretionary business where it's, it's gaining share, it's growing faster than GDP, it's, its share of the GDP pie is growing as an industry and you want the best companies within that industry and they do tend to focus, they tend to fall into you know, a few areas predominantly. It's technology, right. it's healthcare, it's consumer discretionary, and then it's a few other things. You're not gonna find it in most energy stocks, material stocks, or industrial stocks. Those are rare. A lot of those earnings are also uh, somewhat manufactured with a lot of acquisitions. So the ideal growth company for us has a lot of organic growth. It doesn't mean you can't supplement that with a you know, bolt-on acquisitions here or there, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But the more organic growth you have, the higher the multiple is going to be on your earnings or your cash flow. Is it hard to find companies like that? It's a little bit hard. You know, when you right. consider that we're starting with an investable universe of around a thousand names and we're boiling that down to, you know, 40 to 50, let's say. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, yeah, I mean, there aren't, there aren't that many names that have the consistency and the tailwind that we're looking for. We want really dominant companies. And then the other thing is when you're building the portfolio, when you're involved in portfolio construction, you want to make sure that you're not overly lopsided in one area or another. I've been there, I've done that, and that ends badly. So you need to try to find a certain balance in the portfolio, and you're always trying to find it. You know, mm -hmm. you maybe never get exactly where you want to be because things change, but you're always trying to find that elusive balance in the portfolio. Tell us about the elusive balance because there are many, you know, portfolio managers who say, look, I'm going to let my profits run and my good performers run. Why not let a Microsoft, for instance, which is your largest holding currently in the yes. Amco Growth Fund, why not let that just run? Why not that let that get yeah. oversized? Well, for the most part, we try to do that. You right. know, we, we did have a problem in the last year where we had four or five individual investments, things like Apple and Microsoft and Google, which is now called Alphabet, of course. Right. Uh, these kinds of names, Facebook at the time also. So the fangs. Where, where right. they were all 6 to 7% of the portfolio. Mm -hmm. And that becomes a very high risk. And not only that, but the SEC has this funny little rule <laughs> for mutual funds that want to call themselves diversified, which is you can't have uh, 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 more than 25% of the portfolio in individual stock positions of 5% or more. Mm -hmm. okay. So you're actually forced to cut back at some point. The other thing that I will point out is it's okay to take some of that cream off of the top. When you've had stocks rise the way we've seen, mm -hmm. a number of, to go back to the FANG example, when you see the kinds of returns that the FANG stocks generated in recent years, and I'm gonna include Apple in that as well because that was a, a huge winner for us. Mm -hmm. It's okay to take some of that profit off the top and, and, and put it away for a rainy day. Right. Recycle those profits. Because you, know, uh, you, know, you can have situations like, in 1999, 2000, if you went into the first quarter of, of 2000, uh, uh, you know, end of March 2000, with a huge overweight in technology, you probably got your head handed to you. Mm -hmm. You never really know when those moments can come when you can be severely damaged in terms of your relative performance because you have much more of your weighting in, in a particular sector and your competition doesn't. Right. So you've been there, you've seen that, you've yes. seen market cycles, and you just say that it's, it's not. So volatility and risk matter to you. Well, one of the things that we do with our 
growth portfolio is we look at the business cycle. Mm -hmm. So, you know, probably for the first 25 or even 30 years of my 41-year career, I would have told you, oh, I'm just a plain old stock picker. I don't mm -hmm. really need, I don't focus on the economy. The environment that I grew up in, that was very much sort of the Peter Lynch school of growth stock investing. You know, he, he had some saying that was like, if you spent 10 minutes talking to economists, you spent five minutes too long, mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. So it was all about the individual stock. Right. And I really feel that after going through 2008, which was very much a macro meltdown of the financial system, that we need to look at the business cycle. We need, we need to look at the macro issues that are out there and see if the, we can use that information to help us manage the portfolio. So for the last 10 years, we've done that. I think we have added value doing that. And we, we want to put ourselves in a situation which if we think we are late in the cycle, and we think we are late in this right cycle, now, you, right now, mm -hmm. we want to have an anchor to windward. And so right now, we have 10% of the portfolio invested in some stocks that are very counter-cyclical, very defensive, a couple of electric utilities and, and a couple of high-yielding cell tower companies, the REITs. Those stocks tend to go up when the market goes down. They tend to go up when interest rates go down. That's the good news. The bad news is if we're wrong and interest rates go up and the economy continues to do very well mm -hmm. and stocks continue to surge, they're going to lag. But we feel we need to have that position in place before we have any sort of real serious decline in the market. We've had that position in place uh, for the last year, and actually it's helped our performance. Well, I was going to say in 2018, it, it helped your performance, right? Yes, it did. Right. How are you going to protect yourself we, if there's it, another crisis? Right. Well, if we felt that there was a significant global macro crisis, right. I don't foresee that right now. What I foresee right now is an economy that is slowing. The risk, however, is that we're still somewhat too optimistic. And I say that because we like to look at the J.P. Morgan Global PMI for Manufacturing. Mm -hmm. Why? Because it's highly correlated with earnings estimates and earnings estimate revisions, and it tends to lead the market. It, has, it peaked in December of 2017, and it has fallen for 13 out of the last 15 months. Right, and, and 50 is, if it's below 50, it's supposedly... If you get, if you get below 50, then that's starting to signal contraction. Probably has right. to get to 48 before you really have that happening. But... That would be the signal of contraction. So it's a warning sign. And when you look at the individual manufacturing PMIs for much of Europe. Whether, and, and purchasing managers index. Right. right. Mm -hmm. When you look at the PMIs for France and Germany and Italy and even Japan, they're ugly. Mm -hmm. China is another excuse perhaps for people to get sort of more positive because... No, absolutely. The IMF just came out with... They've, in, they've increased their growth estimates for China. China seems right. to be doing better. So thanks to massive, massive Chinese right. government stimulation... stimulus okay, moves, right. They've goosed it with a lot of new debt. Right. Okay, in an economy that really doesn't need any more debt. They've mm -hmm. goosed it with... And so it's that's now bearing fruit. You know, talk about doing whatever it takes. Right. That's their approach. China's doing it. Mm -hmm. Until they decide to try to slow things down and then things get ugly quickly. But for right now, China is, is helping the global economy. Right. No question about it. But Europe is still on the sickly side. And here in the U.S., we're chugging along. We're chugging we're along. chugging along. Translate and that to your job as a money so manager. Where meanwhile, one of the biggest sectors of the economy, 20% of the economy is healthcare. Right. 
And and you, and you know, had a very big, large position in United Healthcare at one point. It was a healthcare was one of your largest right. sector. It still right. is. Mm -hmm. So what's happening to healthcare? And healthcare has become the worst performing sector of the economy this year. Why? Why? Because there's this creeping sense that socialized medicine is on the horizon. Right, Medicare for all. And it all. is freaking Wall Street out. Mm -hmm. You know, Bernie Sanders in the town hall, and you know, maybe we need that. You, out from a price point of view, I mean, do you care? I'm thinking if if one yeah. is a you know a manager looking for opportunities in a in a sector that's strong. It's too early to really be bottom fishing for great values. Maybe not so in in the world of HMOs like United Healthcare, which have really been destroyed. You know, maybe you can make the case there, but I'm still going to argue that it's too early because I think the sentiment may very well get worse because it's not just right. the Democratic Party that seems to be seems to have a consensus to move towards single payer right. healthcare. healthcare. You know, the president himself is capable mm -hmm. of going somewhat rogue and heading down that path. Mm -hmm. Certainly, with respect to drug drug pricing, right. if not the whole shebang. Right, and so. As we enter the real uh, public part of the 2020 election debates and whatnot, this is going to be a topic. They're all going to be trying to offer the electorate more than the other guy. So Promising what do you more. do as a, as a money manager? As a money manager, I, am, I have been reducing uh -huh. as much as I... Your exposure to health care? Yes. Right. And the reason I'm doing that is because I think that it's going to be some time before we get clarity on the outcome here. And I remember... A similar situation in the 1992-1993 period when Bill Clinton was president and Hillary was the health care czar. Yes. And her scheme for trying to control health care costs also freaked out Wall Street. And essentially all the health care stocks were a bad place to be for about 12 months. Mm -hmm. So I am taking money off the table there. I've been there. I've done that. I don't want to go through that again. Right. So talk about the fangs, because, uh, you know, you own, I think you own them all. We right? do. Yes. And, um, and you know, one of the things that, you know, this is a crowded trade, uh, you know, that it's, if there was a recent survey of global money managers and, you know, where, what are they long? And they're, you know, they're all long large cap U.S. growth stocks, the fangs among them. Sure. Um, explain why you are sticking with the fangs. And, and so sure. Facebook, for instance, sure. what's the case for holding Facebook? Well, you'll recall last year, Facebook stock came under a lot of pressure because of privacy concerns, that they had not protected the privacy of, of their users' right. content. No, they've been under a lot of scrutiny. A lot of stress. So right. they have had to ramp up spending tremendously to try to, to try to address those concerns. There will probably be regulation, not only for Facebook, but for the rest of the social right, media for companies. Google and, but it's right. probably not going to happen before Amazon. the next election. It's right. probably post-2020 uh, type of thing. But it's out there. It's out there. Right. And everyone knows that. Right. And they've done this in Europe with what they call the GDPR. If they do something like that in the U.S., which is sort of what the expectation is, it's really not a big negative for the, especially for the largest companies. In fact, the argument is that they're better able to weather that regulation than right. a lot of the smaller companies. So Facebook and Google should be... Fine. Fine. Okay. For the most part. Uh, the fear for Facebook was that their monthly average users would decline. And so when they reported their fourth quarter results, they hadn't declined. Maybe some had left Facebook, but others came. So they still had 2.5 billion monthly average users across their platform. Great. 
The fear was the advertisers would leave. They didn't leave. Not only have the advertisers not left, they've increased their ad spending directed to Facebook. Mm -hmm. And they do that because Facebook offers the advertising community very targeted ads that offer them a high return on investment for their clients. And so this is all very good. In right. the world of the digital economy, uh, uh, advertising is going from old media to digital media. Google is the king of digital ads. Yes. Facebook is number two. Amazon, another thing, is a, a growing number three. But, so they dominate digital ads. Digital ads are now actually up, up over 40% of the total ad budget and growing. Wow. So Facebook uh, is at a situation where the top line this year is growing at about 23%. Earnings aren't growing this year because they're spending so much money to address these problems. Mm -hmm. The stock is still recovering from last year's sell-off. It's recovered a fair amount, but still has more to go. You get the, the recovery in earnings starts next year. So the bad news, you know, they've, they've, they guided way down for this year. So in that sense, it sort of became a low expectation stock. They surprised to the upside in Q4, mm -hmm. which caused a rally in the stock. And I think we're, gonna, we're going to see more of that. The Instagram business is going great guns. They're monetizing that in a better, in a better way. And you know, do they have any warts? Sure they do. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's why it's priced where it's priced. It right. creates an opportunity. And what, one of the interesting things that you told me um, b before the interview was that, that you feel that these companies, the FANGs, they have moats. Just explain you know, what the moats are, why you see them as almost kind of impenetrable. Right. Well, for, for one thing, bear in mind that every one of these companies developed their industry. They had the first mover advantage. First mover advantage. They've invested like crazy. Right. They've been very aggressive and growing. And so now you're, you know, anybody that wants to compete with them, you're talking about the smallest market cap company here is Netflix, which is about 125 billion. Facebook's around 500 billion. Uh, Alphabet or Google uh, is around 800 billion. Amazon's around 800 billion. One thing that I can say about the moats for these companies is they all have share something in common. It's called the network effect, which is the greater scale you have, you, you tend to create a better, more targeted product because you have the information, you have the data to work with. What does your audience want? You give them more of what they want and you get more of them, which in turn makes you even more enabled to target your audience with better products. And so you have the scale, the marketing dominance, the, 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 you know, when you, when you have 90, a 95% global market share like Google does in search, hard to compete with. People have tried, they've all failed. Right. When you are Facebook, you know, what's your competition? Who else is out there with two and a half billion monthly average users? Except of, in China, right. Except in China, which is a separate market. Mm -hmm. uh, Netflix has 140 million global subs. The largest U.S. cable video subscriber is Comcast. They have 23 million. Disney, great company. Disney's introducing a product. They hope to have 60 to 90 million subs in five years. Well, in five years, I would expect that Netflix will have over 300 million subs. Netflix is spending 13 to 14 billion dollars on content today. Disney's hoping to spend 4 billion in a few years. Wow! Right. So it's a big difference. It's a big scale. difference in scale. Right. Now, Disney's going to do well. They're going to have a six dollars and 99 cents a month product. It's going to be a good product, but it's not going to eat into Netflix. Mm -hmm. You know, there's plenty of ground here for both of them because the cable TV bundle has created this massive pricing umbrella 
for the for the streaming companies. Here's the question: that the Fangs all trade as a group, regardless of the you know the individual attributes of the companies. So isn't that risky to have a co- concentration? in the FANG stocks. Like well, I mean, I'm sure there's a FANG ETF, and I'm sure there is, right. I'm sure that there's a, there is an element of that. Um, but I, I do think that the underlying fundamentals are really what's going to drive the individual stocks. And, you know, we would argue that the earnings, the long-term earnings outlook for these companies remains very superior, despite the fact that they've already created these massive market caps. It's extremely unusual in the history of the U.S. stock market to have companies do this well in, th- in such a short period of their lifespan, right. but they still have an enormous runway ahead of them. Let me ask you about a couple of your holdings that you mentioned that were the more defensive stocks in your portfolio. And uh, one of them is, the, is Next Era Energy, the old Florida Power and Light, and another one is American Waterworks. Do they meet your definition of growth? They don't meet my definition of the ideal growth stock that we're looking for. However, let me, let me introduce this. Yes. If you look at the growth profile of not only NextEra Energy and American Waterworks, so you have the electric utility, water utility, but also Crown Castle and American Tower, which are two of our cell tower counter cyclicals mm-hmm. that we own. All of these companies are generating top-line growth of 5 to 7%. If you compare that to the consumer staples universe, you'll find that's a pretty good comparison. Okay. Most of, I'm not sure there's a consumer staple stock outside of maybe Estee Lauder or, you know. That has one, revenues of 5 to 6%? Yeah, they're, mm-hmm. they're usually 2 to 3%. So we're outgrowing, you know, the consumer staples sector with these stocks. And we have an attractive dividend yield that's growing to boot with, with I think, uh, just as much counter cyclicality. Last question. One investment for a long-term diversified portfolio. What would you have all of us own some of in a portfolio? Well, it's not too late to buy Amazon. Why? Amazon dominates two of the most dynamic areas of the economy, that being e-commerce. So in e-commerce, you have right now, it's only about 12 to 13% of retail sales are online, Mm -hmm. but half of that basically is Amazon. And e-commerce is here to stay. Every year, including this year, you will see literally thousands of retail stores close. Brick and mortars are having a hard time. So Amazon dominates e-commerce. I think that will continue. They have got, talk about moats. They have decades of building that infrastructure. Good luck competing with them. So that's one of their businesses Mm -hmm. is retail. We all know that. The other one is Amazon Web Services. That's cloud cloud software, when, they inter- when the large corporation decides we're, we don't really want to spend all of our budget on IT anymore, we're going to farm some of this out to Amazon Web Services in the cloud, they're going to get their business done faster and cheaper, actually much faster and cheaper than if they had done it their own. They have a $30 billion revenue business in Amazon Web Services. It is the dominant factor in that business. Microsoft is a pretty distant number two with about $13 billion of revenue in their web business, which is not bad. Mm -hmm. Google's a distant number three, even more distant number three. So that's growing around 40%. About 22% of all of the enterprise workloads are right now in the cloud. I would expect that number to be north of 50% over the next few years. Very strong growth. This is Amazon's niche. It's a great place to be. The company is going to generate 
uh, free cash flow this year of about $27 or $8 billion, growing to $35 billion next year, and it's selling at about 30, low 30, 30 something multiple on next year's earnings. It's growing into its multiple, it's growing into its valuation. How Jeff Bezos dependent is Amazon's future, as people used to talk about how you know, yeah. Steve Jobs dependent was Apple. Yeah, Jeff Bezos is a brilliant manager. He's done an incredible job uh, with Amazon. It was his vision all along to have a, what he called the everything store, a store that would sell everything, and he's pretty right. much there right now. I don't think that Amazon is Jeff Bezos dependent at this point. It's too big and, 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 and has a strong management team. So it's his vision. He's clearly pulling levers you know, behind the screen. But I think that, that, that they are uh, Jeff, not necessarily Jeff Bezos free because he's very important to Amazon, but he's not as important to Amazon as perhaps he was 5, 10, 15 years ago. Thank you so much, Howard Ward. Thank you very much for being Thank with us. Thank you for having me. For the first As our regulars know, at the close of every wealth track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is make sure you have some defensive holdings in your portfolio. As a growth stock fund manager, Ward's job is to be pretty much fully invested. As individuals, we have no such mandate. Our job is to protect ourselves from permanent losses. Ward's anchors to windward are very counter-cyclical stocks like utilities, cell tower companies, and we have the freedom to hold significant positions of other proven defensive non-stock assets like cash, treasury bonds, or even gold. We are late in the economic and market cycle. There is no way to time it, but we can take defensive action now as an insurance policy against serious market declines. Next week, how stable is the world financial system with central banks still easing? Global economic thought leaders John Lipsky and Nick Sargent respond. On this week's Extra Feature, Howard Ward describes the benefit of having his son join him in the business. And we look forward to having you join us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Thanks for watching. Have a great weekend and make the week ahead a profitable and a productive one.